Hello and welcome to session 13 of the recovery course. Tonight's talk is entitled Cleaning House and we're going to be looking at step 10 and step 10 says this. We continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. And with that, I've, I've put um, a verse from Psalm 51. It was written by King David. Uh, and, and in many ways, it's a sort of a very much a heartfelt, <coughs> excuse me, it's very much a heartfelt repentance of his. And he says this to God. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. And then he goes on. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Well, today is actually a very exciting day because we've, up until now, we've been travelling a very difficult road over these last few weeks. But today, we are turning the final corner. So let's just quickly recall where the journey has taken us so far. First of all, in steps one and two, we had to face our denial and realise that our lives had become insane. And then in step three, we were encouraged to put our life into the care of God. In steps four and five, we took a long, hard, honest look at our life and confessed our entrenched, long-standing resentments as well as those areas in our life that we were ashamed of. And then in steps six and seven, we humbly gave God permission to reorder our lives and turn us into the people that not only he but we deep down have longed to be. And he does that by the power of his spirit beginning to remove our character faults. And up to step seven, it's all been about us, all about me. And then over the last two weeks, as we began looking at steps eight and nine, we've started to restore our relationship with others. And we made a list of all those we'd harmed and became willing to make amends to them without expecting to get anything in return. And for many of us, that's an incredible journey. In uh, the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells this story. It's a story about two houses, one with good foundations and another one with bad foundations. Jesus said this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock goes on but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice 
is like a foolish person who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew against that house, and it fell with a great crash. This is a story about us. We came on this course just over three months ago now, like a house with 40 foundations. Over the years, cracks have repeatedly appeared in the walls and we've plastered over them and given them a quick coat of paint. To the casual observer, our lives have looked pretty good and solid. The house has looked in good order. But unfortunately, we've suffered from serious structural defects. And no matter how much cosmetic treatment that we've applied, it was only a matter of time before the building fell down. And we, for many of us, we've ended up finding ourselves on this course, looking for a structural engineer that once again could make our house safe. If, if any of you have ever watched these programmes on television uh, where people are having a house renovated, uh, we will know that in the first, the first few months of renovating a house are messy, painful, and uninspiring. Because first of all, the house needs underpinning with new foundations. And once it's on a sound base, the builders start dismantling the contents and fabric of the building. The wiring and the plumbing is ripped out, a crowbar is taken to the bathroom and the kitchen, and cracked plaster is power drilled off the walls. And the house, which at one time didn't look too bad, is systematically destroyed. And with each passing day, it looks worse than it did the day before. And I think for many of us, that's our experience of this course. We feel like bits are being ripped out and we're being dismantled and there isn't any improvement happening whatsoever. However, the exciting day does eventually come when that house is slowly returned to the glory it once knew. So fresh plaster goes on, paint colour charts are poured over to find a tint and tone that's perfect, new wiring, new plumbing, kitchens, bathrooms, bedrooms are installed and eventually the owner is handed back the keys to the house, sure in the knowledge that the building is structurally sound and that from now on the only maintenance work required is going to be some regular housework and an occasional coat of paint. If we have diligently worked our way through these first nine steps, that is where we find ourselves today. Owners of a structurally sound life with solid foundations. And from now on, daily cleaning is all that's required. Today, we start the last three steps, which are sometimes called the maintenance steps. And what this infers, quite rightly, is the idea that having completed the previous nine steps, we are now in a much healthier place. And in order to maintain our recovery, we simply need to apply steps 10, 11, and 12 in order to keep our lives healthily ticking over. Now that's true to an extent, but we mustn't get complacent and rest on past achievements. 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, St. Paul warns us, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And I've seen that in my own life time and time again. I've seen it in the lives of others. We think, oh yes, doing well. I think I've cracked it. And before we know it, bam, the house falls down again. And we realise we haven't cracked it. We need to, I think, constantly remind ourselves, or certainly I do, that our character flaws are not a major problem for God. I love how the, the Christian writer Philip Yancey puts it. He, he wrote a, an excellent book on grace, and he says this, I realise that imperfection is the prerequisite for grace. And he goes on, light only gets in through the cracks. But even though the majority of our shortcomings are not a major problem for God, our pride and our delusions most certainly are. I think what Yancey's saying is it's through our brokenness, it's through the cracks, it's through the sin, it's through the mistakes, it's through the stupidity that the light of God gets in. Do you know, we, we can never be too broken for God, never too sinful for God, never too stupid for God, never too ordinary for God, but we can be too proud for God. And pride is the absolute killer. It will nail us every single time. Let's assume, for instance, that I continue to take personal inventory, which is what step 10 is all about. Let's assume that I get to know God better through prayer, which is what next week's talk is about, step 11. And as a result of my spiritual awakening, I begin to help others, which is step 12. If I forget along the way that I am powerless over my addiction, step one, then I'm doomed. It will, at some point, all go seriously wrong. On some 12-step programs, they call this step, step 10, relapse prevention. When someone starts using their compul compulsive behaviour of choice again, let's assume we maybe pick up a drink or start gambling or take drugs again or start self-harming again, we're said to have relapsed. But relapse, like recovery, is a process. You didn't relapse when you took that drink. You didn't relapse when you snorted that line of coke or were masturbating to porn. The using was merely confirmation that you were already in the process of relapse. It didn't come out of the blue. Our relapse was happening in the days and the weeks leading up to the using. When we're spiritually well, we have no desire to use again. It's only when we are spiritually unwell that the alcohol, the drugs, the sex, the gambling, the binging and so on begin to look like an attractive option once more. 
Relapse is not the single act of using again. Relapse is our poor spiritual state that allows us to consider a particularly destructive plan of action as being a sensible one. That's the madness of our condition, isn't it? That we do something completely bonkers, that goes completely against the things that maybe we morally stand for, but the insanity strikes and it all seems perfectly sensible and reasonable, or maybe even, well, we just don't care. I think all addiction in some ways is a bit like, um, it's the ultimate self-harming. It's where the self-esteem comes in. We hate ourselves so much, we're happy, we feel happy that we're hurting ourselves and harming ourselves. Well, that should indicate there's a spiritual sickness somewhere. If someone with a heart condition doesn't take their medication daily, they run the risk of getting seriously sick. And so it is with us as addicts. If we disregard the things that we need to do to uphold and preserve our recovery, then we will pay the price. And for some of us, it could be fatal. I remember there was a guy on this uh, course a few years ago, lovely chap, he was an ex-offender, he'd come out of prison, he was doing really well, his problem was drink, drink and drugs, and he turned up one evening and He'd given up smoking as well, and, he, and he, he came in one evening and said, I think God has healed me. That should ring alarm bells to anyone. I'm not saying God doesn't or cannot heal folk, but certainly when it comes to addiction, we're talking about incredible rarities here. Anyway, he was convinced that God had healed him of alcoholism. And I said, whoa, 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 hang on a minute. Would you like to just have a word with this, one of these group leaders over here, who was uh, himself had been, he was a recovering alcoholic. Anyway, he said to him, look, don't, don't even go there. But he chose to ignore us because he was convinced God had healed him and he was in a church and they'd all encouraged him. Da, 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 da. About three years ago, just before Christmas, he went out to the pub, took several lines of cocaine and was never seen again. And I remember a friend of his uh, contacted us who was his family and children were panicking like anything because he loved his family to bits and his two young children. There's no way he would have forgotten Christmas. He was on the front of his local newspaper, have you seen this man? He had just vanished off the face of the earth. Seven months later, what was left of his corpse was found face down in an ornamental pond in the back of a garden in a house that was due for redevelopment. We have to take the possibility of relapse seriously. So one of the things that we need to do on a daily basis if we're to remain healthy is step 10 
And step 10, let me remind you of what it says. It says, we continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. In other words, it's a way of, it's a way to avoid amassing all of the moral and emotional junk that has made us spiritually sick in the first place and has got us where we are today. In steps four and five, which uh, remember we were looking at our resentments and all those areas of shame in our life and we've been encouraged to, to share that with another person we trust. In steps four and five and then in eight and nine, which are all about making amends to people we've done wrong to, in those four steps we have been gutting the house. And now, through step ten, we need to keep our lives free of the crap that turned our house into a sewage works. Step 10, actually, on a practical level, is also useful for putting down anything that we forgot to mention in steps four and steps eight. Many of us, I think, have found that no matter how conscientiously we have filled those lists in, some important things slipped our mind and were omitted. Well, that's not a problem. Put them down on your step 10 list uh, as soon as they come into your mind. And if the person concerned was badly affected by your behaviour and should have been on your step 8 list as well, then make the amend as soon as realistically possible. How does step 10 work? It's very straightforward. I think the official line is, is that we take time, usually at the end of the day, before we go to bed, to make a list of all the good and the bad things that we have done throughout the day. And it's important to keep the list balanced. Re remember there's that verse from the Old Testament uh, in Lamentations which instructs us, let's take a good look at the way we're living and reorder our lives under God. So think back over the day to see if you hurt anyone through something that you said or did or also something that you didn't say or didn't do. Because sometimes our actions and reactions, they're born out of fear or just good old-fashioned selfishness. And, and these need to be noticed where we're fearful. Think, think back on why did I react like that? Was I afraid of something? Um, was I just being selfish? I wanted things done my own way and I didn't get my own way. So it's good to actually work out why that actually happened. Now, in order to be balanced, it's also a good time to recall all those things we did well. And there might be things that normally we would disregard. Did I go out of my way to be kind? Did I put my arm round someone who was upset? Or did I just offer a word of support where it was needed? Or a compliment? to someone who looked particularly nice that day. And we all love compliments, don't we? We may be astonished at just how many things we are actually doing well. Of course, as addicts, we tend to have very low self-esteem, self-hatred. We don't even recognize that stuff. But maybe step 10 is a good time to start recognizing all the things you're doing well. Conversely, I guess, if you're anything like me, we might get disheartened at the number of things we are still doing badly. And we might question whether we really are becoming a better person. And then we might try and persuade ourselves, that little voice in our heads, 
that we talked about at the workshop, persuading us that not doing this step would be a better option. After all, coming face to face with our failures on a daily basis is depressing. But note what step 10 says. It says, when we were wrong, we promptly admitted it. It doesn't say if we are wrong. God is a realist. He knows that we will never be perfect in this life. And you know what? It's not a problem for him. In, in 1 John chapter 1, John, John says this, if we claim that we're free of sin, we're only fooling ourselves. A claim like that is errant nonsense. On the other hand, if we admit our sins, make a clean breast of them, he won't let us down. He'll be true to himself. He'll forgive our sins and purge us of all wrongdoing. If we claim that we've never sinned, we out and out contradict God. We make a liar out of him. And a claim like that only shows off our ignorance of God. Step 10 keeps us grounded in truth and reality of where we are on our journey and that ensures our spiritual health. Through it, we own our mistakes, we take responsibility for them and we promptly admit them. Benjamin Franklin gave some good advice. He said, never ruin an apology with an excuse. That means keeping our ear open for that tiny word, but. I'm sorry I reacted badly this morning, but. I know what I did was wrong, but. I'm really sorry for what I said to you, but. There are no buts when it comes to making an apology. We were wrong, end of story. Yes, others may have played their part and may have been completely out of order, but we are apologising for our part and our responsibility is merely to clean up our side of the street. If the other party chooses to apologise to, that's great. If they don't, do you know what? That's fine too. At the end of the day, what they choose to do is irrelevant. By apologising for my wrongs, I am keeping my life on track by doing what is right. And that's what matters the most in my recovery. The other person is responsible for their own life. Another handy hint, and if you're like this, if like me, you're bone idle and can't be bothered to make lists at the end of the day, is try and get into the habit of apologising promptly for our mistakes at the time. And that way, we don't have to write them down on our lists at the end of the day. I know the moment I've stepped out of line that I've stepped out of line. I know when I've sworn at someone, it probably wasn't a great idea. I know 
when I've had a pop at someone that I'm in the wrong. And I know that God always gives me a tiny window of opportunity where his little voice says in my head, Nigel, <clears throat> over the top there, old son. And I have a window of opportunity where I can say, oh, 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 I'm sorry, that was out of order. I'm sorry. So once we start getting, once this becomes a way of life, it's amazing how the day, days improve. Because when you've done wrong and you apologise straight away, boom, and it's gone, finished, regardless of how they react, it's finished, you've done the right thing. It's amazing how good you feel about yourself. And when we feel good about ourselves, we don't want to use. And we're not doing all this because we wish to be declared a saint or even to benefit and improve ourselves. The blunt truth is we are doing this because we don't want to return to our addictive life. We want life and we want it to the full. And the alternative road is the one that leads to death. Thanks ever so much. You've been very patient. Uh, tea, coffee, small groups. Thanks a lot.